Hello and welcome to another episode of Author Conversations presented by Arcadia Publishing and the History Press. I'm Jonathan Foster. Alabama Governor George Wallace ran for president four times between 1964 and 1976. In the Badger State, his campaigns fueled a debate over constitutional principles and values. Wallace weaponized states' rights, arguing that the federal government should stay out of school segregation, promote law and order, restrict forced busing, and reduce burdensome taxation. White working-class Wisconsinites armed themselves with Wallace's rhetoric, pushing back on changes that threatened the status quo. Civil rights activists and the black community in Wisconsin armed themselves with a different constitutional principle, equal protection, to push for strong federal protection of their civil rights. This clash of ideals nearly became literal as protests and counter-protests erupted until gradually diminishing as Wallace's political fortunes waned. Historian Ben Hubing, who's our guest today, reveals tensions that embroiled Wisconsinites as Wallace took his struggle north of the Mason-Dixon line. Ben, thanks for being on. Yeah, thanks so much for having me. I appreciate it. All right, so before Wallace decides to run for president, before he gets to Wisconsin, what's the ground situation like there in the state? Yeah, so one thing that I thought was kind of interesting is like Wallace's rise uh, into like national prominence and as a well-known leader um, kind of coincides with the state of Wisconsin and, and Milwaukee's in, in, in you know, particular, um, their civil rights movement kind of, you know, rising to a crescendo as well. Like there were definitely events happening before Wallace. Um, but I think his first campaign in 64 really sparks uh, and activates a lot of people in the community of, of Milwaukee uh, and in Wisconsin. Um, you know, the, the city of Milwaukee was was really changing pretty dramatically in this time period. Um, there was this inner, what was called the inner core of Milwaukee, um, which is uh, was a predominantly black uh, part of the community. About 100,000 African-Americans were living there as of the late 60s. Um, and there were a number of events that were happening in Milwaukee that really began to spark, um, you know, protests and kind of the beginning of the civil rights movement uh, in Milwaukee. Um, there was the murder of a young black uh, man named Daniel Bell uh, in the city in 58. Mm-hmm. Um, and the NAACP and core started to form local chapters in Milwaukee right around that time to fight for integration. Um, and school segregation was becoming a uh, desegregation was becoming a really large topic in, in the area. Um, you know, Brown, Brown v. Board inter- integrates schools as late as, uh, as as early as the 50s, um, but Milwaukee hadn't really been integrating, uh, and they, were, they had been using tactics that really were not, you know, leading to real authentic change. So there was uh, kind of a groundswell of growing support for change in the city, and then when Wall shows up in 64, um, he kind of comes right as this as the civil rights movement is really starting to pick up. Yeah, so he's just like lighting a match, kind of. Um, in the gunpowder room in, in a magazine when he shows up. If things start to change, then you throw this dynamic in that the city didn't really need and that the state didn't need almost. Yeah, I mean, definitely. Like, it was a time where there was, like, really dramatic change, right? Like, when he first shows up in 1964, the, the Civil Rights Act is being debated in Congress, and I think it just passed, I think it was the House of Representatives. Um, and there was a lot of debate, like, what the Civil Rights Bill would do, like, what would it would change. And obviously there was large support in the black community for, you know, a guarantee of civil rights and that like, you know, businesses and, and public places would, you know, not be able to, uh, um, that like businesses, yeah, okay. That businesses and public places would not be able to discriminate. Right. But there was also like large pockets of like communities in Milwaukee, um, primarily white communities in the metro area 
that were really worried about what this would look like. It was a big change uh, that was on the way. And I think Wallace really tapped into uh, that fear of like, what would this do for like seniority and labor unions? What would this do to communities? What would this do, uh, you know, tapping into like fears of crime and, and things like that. So um, there was definitely a moment there where there was uncertainty. And I think Wallace came in in 64, right as all that was really um, starting to happen. And just the idea of George Wallace running uh, for president, and he's running as a? A Democrat. And who's a Democratic president at this time? Yeah, so at the time, he's like challenging a sitting president, which is kind of rare. You don't see that a whole lot, like within the party at least, right? If you're the if you're the incumbent and you're running for re-election in your party, you don't usually face a lot of challengers. But um, Lyndon Johnson was running for election. Obviously, he had taken over after the death of uh, Kennedy and was a pretty liberal uh, Democrat. Wallace was was not, right? He was a pretty conservative Democrat. And whereas like LBJ championed the Civil Rights Act and supported it and would later support the Voting Rights Act, um, you know, th- this was a different type of Democrat in George Wallace, right? He opposed civil rights. He thought, uh, you know, that the, the national government was getting too big for its britches, so to speak, right? With the great society and government spending. And uh, he really wanted to tamp back what the government was doing and like focus on a state's rights approach, at least like his outward rhetoric um, was that of state's rights, right? Um, so when he comes to Milwaukee, he does end Wisconsin over the, the few weeks in 64 that he first shows up. He's not talking about like, segregation and he's not really even talking a lot about the civil rights act uh in specific detail he's really focusing on like states rights that like milwaukee and wisconsin should choose their own path if they want to have integration they should choose to do that if they don't then then they shouldn't right that it should be up to individual states now you know whether he's sincere in that belief or he's tapping into you know deeper prejudices and issues there's definitely debate there um but like he, he comes in at a moment where the the democratic party's kind of splitting in, in these different factions you know with some when, when you talk about if he's tapping into something you know, there are politicians you can you probably could make that argument about but also i mean the proof's in the pudding with this guy though with wallace yeah, <laughs> agreed. Yeah, the writing's kind of on the wall where, where he stands with that. I mean, this is a guy who you know has stood in the schoolhouse doors. Um, yep. You know, at you know, I told you when we were talking earlier. You know that you know I love the tie, the crimson tie, but it was at the University of Alabama that he's you know made a stand. Um, it, he's he's not the best of, of characters, and you know, I'm I'm kind of jumping ahead here a little bit because to me. It's kind of like a state senator, you know, or state state senator, but a senator we have here in the state that I live in. Um, he he to me is like a politician with a wet finger in the air, trying <laughs> yep. to figure out which way is the best way to get ahead. Especially, and like I said, I'm jumping ahead here. You know, he he has this whole apology he has later in his career, which I don't buy at all. It never <laughs> did buy. Um, yeah. Did you do you ever buy? Did you ever buy that? And I'm referring to his regret over past actions, including racist remarks and the pain he knows yeah. he contributed to. I mean, that's a fair question, right? Like when he comes to Wisconsin, it's coming right out of his try, attempt to block, like you said, the stay in the schoolhouse door to prevent the University of Alabama by being for, for being forcibly integrated by the federal government, right? For them to comply with the the law, right? He gives a, a speech where he promises segregation forever, right? He you know, when, when the bombings happen in Birmingham, he does nothing. And in fact, blames, he in fact blames the protesters and some of the people in the black community. Right. So I, I have a real 
hard time, you know, agreeing or buying that it's just a matter of states' rights. But what, what's interesting about Wallace's campaigns is he really, when he comes to the north, when he comes to Wisconsin in 64, he really tailors it. Like, it's like, it's not about race. It's not about prejudice. It's about civil, it's about states' rights, right? Like, it's about the civil rights bill that goes too far. In 68, when he shows up again, he focuses a lot on law and order. Like this is the time where there's lots of unrest and there's uprisings in cities from Detroit to Newark to Watts all over the place. And he promises law and order to restore law and order. And again, I think that's that's cold a little bit. Right. Like there's there's some underpinnings to that, to be sure. Uh, in 72, he thinks the federal government's gone too far with busing and his campaign in Wisconsin and around the country is really focused on. You know, that busing is the federal government going too far in trying to achieve this goal of integration. And again, he knows who he's talking to. He's talking to northerners that that, again, busing is. That should be the last one. Uh, busing is a busing is a hot button issue, right, among you know, desegregating in cities like Boston and Milwaukee and others. Right. So um, and by 76, he's really softened his stances, as you kind of alluded to. And he's just talking about like taxes, like the government should have less bureaucracy, should tax less. Right. So over time, he's got a different thing to say about what the government's doing wrong. But at the core of it, like many, many, you know, Southern governors, he's all these things have the underpinning of race to them, right? Like this is happening during a time where the national government's trying to assert that, you know, civil rights and voting rights and things like that are guarantees all people should have. And, and he's, you know, I think being kind of disingenuous, I'd agree. And, he, and you're right, he does soften his stances towards the end. He apologizes to civil rights leaders and, you know, hires African-Americans in his cabinet in his last, you know, stint as governor. But, you know, whether it's... Yeah, but even though he's softened his stances, I mean, is he? Because I, I don't know if he yeah. really is, you know? Or is, yeah. did he ever really... You know, how much did he believe what he was saying to begin with? Is For he just sure. saying what needs to be said to get to where he is? Because uh, let's go back real quick, Ben, and look at him because he gets his start, you know, in, I mean, if, you know, I don't really like to bring politics into the podcast because I'm I'm sure people who've listened to it before can kind of, you know, guess where I stand because I, you know, I, I, I guess what I, I'm more libertarian, I guess I'll just throw it out there with everything, you know, but yeah. this guy really gets under my skin. He gets into politics early. He's a deputy attorney general for the state of Alabama. He helps his grandfather get elected. Uh, a judge of Alabama, but he's 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 one of these next step career politician guys, you know, mm-hmm. and he, he he he, but he always has his eyes on that number one spot. One of these guys that just keeps running and running and running, even though he's been told so many times. And you, you know, you've mentioned all these things that he's he says in these different campaigns to try to get to that spot, and it's just like the it, it, I just can't get those kind of fact it's that thing that i feel like so many have not obviously he's a very different case you know to try to there's almost this drive what is it narcissism i guess to try to have that spot to me it almost feels like if you want to be if you're going to be president as an office you should be dragged to kicking and screaming you know it's not something (laughs) you should want no, I mean, he wants it for sure. And I think what's interesting with him is, yeah, this is the age old question with Wallace is, was he just opportunist? Did he just have, you know, was he able to just find those topics that just push the right buttons with the right people? Uh, were these sincerely held beliefs? I mean, who knows, right? Like as the civil rights movement, you know, evolves, he seems to kind of evolve with it. But uh, but again, is that just opportunism? Like he, you know, personally, uh, in his own private discussions, he, you know, he uses lots of profanity against people of color and whatnot throughout his time. Right. That, that doesn't really ever seem to stop, soften. 
What does change, I guess, is his stances. But again, is that genuine or is that just playing to the crowd uh, of who he's really hoping to appeal to, which is like primarily like, you know, white working class people in the in the city of Milwaukee or suburban whites that are, you know, living in, 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 the, in the States, you know. I don't know the answer to that, but yeah. uh, it does seem convenient to be sure. I just think it says a lot about a character when you have like a church bombing in Birmingham where kids are killed and you can't say anything. I mean, <laughs> right. Yeah, for sure. And that's like, as he's, you know, and again, that's what, one reason I, I thought found this topic interesting was, you know, he came to Wisconsin four times and, you know, he had mixed success, you know, uh, in the primaries uh, and in, he ran as an independent uh, in the general election in 1968 but the, you know, the question I really was trying to answer in the book was like, how, you know, how did he, you know, what was his appeal? Like, this yes. is a Southern yeah. segregationist from a long ways away who's not a very finely polished politician and really who stands for some things and has done some public things which are pretty, you know, irreprehensible. But yet he found like decent support. He found like large pockets of support in our state here in Wisconsin. Uh, and he also found like vehement protesters and people that were happy and willing to, to stand against what he stood for. So I was just, you know, I, it was surprising to me that he had so much success and had such an impact uh, as kind of an outsider in our state. And I guess that was kind of the the genesis of my, my book. I was kind of thinking like, well, you know, who is this guy? You know, people know who he is, I guess, but how did he have such an impact? Like what was, what was his appeal and, you know, who found him appealing? And then, and, and for the people that didn't, what, you know, how, what did they do to try to stop him? Um, which was interesting to see over time. And Ben, he doesn't run once, not twice, not three, but four times. Four times, yes. <laughs> and he ran as, in the Democratic primary three of those times. And in Wisconsin, he, he had mixed success, right? By in his early, his, his, his biggest one, his biggest win was probably in 64. He took second against the sitting president, right? Uh, which is pretty impressive uh, in a primary that no one really gave him much of a chance to win. Um, in 68, he runs as an independent against Nixon and um, Humphrey. And wins about, I think, eight percent of the vote uh, in a pop, you know, in a in a presidential contest, which is, you know, for an independent candidate, not too shabby. Uh, Seventy-two, he comes in second, just kind of shocking everybody. Uh, and then in seventy-six, by that point, his fortunes had kind of waned, and uh, he, things had changed a little bit. He had been uh, shot by a Milwaukeean, actually, uh, in while in <laughs> yeah. Maryland. Uh, I mean, it's not and, funny, uh, but you know. <laughs> no, yeah, I mean, he was shot, and uh, it, it ties was, you know, into the, the book, is what I'm saying. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And then was essentially kind of, you know, wheelchair ridden. But then by 76 also, he had really kind of softened his his rhetoric. Right. Like his I think his appeal was like he, you know, I, you know, a lot of you know, in, in interviews I read from Wisconsinites, he he said, you know, he said what was on his mind. He spoke the truth like he he said it how he told it how it was. Right. And by 76, he had kind of moderated his his rhetoric and was not out there giving fiery speeches in front of packed crowds. And, uh, you know, I think by that, you know, that was his worst showing by far. Um, but by that point, you know, Milwaukee had also seen the, de the decline of its civil rights movement and, you know, both, you know, the rise and fall of Wallace and civil rights in our, in our state had both kind of reached its pinnacle around 68 and both kind of declined, you know, sort of after that. So it's kind of a parallel. That's... Okay. So wait, go back real quick. So 72, he did okay. He did all right. Yeah, he took he took second in a pretty crowded primary uh, in 72. I think McGovern ended up winning it, but he came in second, right, which yeah. uh, he, you know did, did surprisingly well again. And again, these are pretty crowded primaries. There's a lot of debate, like, did he win? You know, again, like the, the Democratic Party itself was kind of splintering, uh, you know, uh, Southern Democrats and more liberal Northern Democrats. But mm -hmm. um, like there was question about like, you know, in, in our in our in our state primary, you could cross over. In other words, if you were a conservative, whether you were a Democrat yeah. or Republican, you could vote in the Democratic primary for Wallace and in 72 and in 64. 
there were no real the, the Republican races were not contested, right? So the question, what you know, often is in in those two elections, he does well. Does he do well because there is no you know the other primaries essentially settled, and you know Republicans could vote in there to either you know kind of mess up and blow up the, the primary or embarrass Democrats, or maybe they liked Wallace and found him appealing, right? But um, the, the two elections he does the best in are ones where he's running in a primary, and, and the Republicans don't have a primary essentially. There, uh, it's been settled that Nixon will be the nominee in '72, and in in, seven, in '64 there really wasn't a contested primary either. Mm-hmm. I just the, the 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 fact that he ran so many times and did and then you know he had you know of course his ups and downs but as well as he did um, really surprises me in that but then also you know he had the people who were against him each time too the stalwarts who would oppose him um, what was that like what was that organization like coming against Wallace. Yeah. So he faced a lot of opposition um, among, you know, a lot of different fronts. Right. Like there was obviously the black community that came out very vehemently against Wallace, um, especially in 64. Uh, and then, you know, to an extent in 68 as well. Right. So we have like the, the, the you know Milwaukee chapters of CORE and the NAACP that are holding marches and events and rallies against Wallace. Um, there's a really, um, you know, I, I was able to look through a lot of newspapers that are in the black community in this time period. There was a, a black newspaper called the Milwaukee Star and another that formed later called the Milwaukee Courier. And they have all kinds of like op-ed pieces and articles about Wallace and, uh, you know, just really like lots of interesting pieces there. You know, the black community is trying to get out the votes. Like they're, mm-hmm. they're holding voter banks and registration banks to try to, to, uh, to defeat Wallace and, uh, lots of really interesting political cartoons in there that are kind of poking fun at them that are, that are featured in my book, which I, which are great. Um, so there's obviously strong opposition in the black community. Eventually, by the late 60s, um, the civil rights movement in Milwaukee kind of hits its peak. You have uh, civil rights leaders like Father Grappi uh, and the NAACP Youth Council that are getting out there and really like, you know, protesting and marching. They go to a lot of Wallace events. And, and these events are kind of interesting because there's like clashes, like there are people like shouting out and, you know, cussing out Wallace and swearing and uh, but also just like chanting and marching and trying to disrupt his speeches. And then you've got his supporters that are, you know, fighting back like physically sometimes, but also just like cheering and uh, trying to uh, drown out the, the, the opponents. Right. So there's a real interesting clash between like the black community and a lot of Wallace's more vocal white supporters at a lot of these public events at uh, the old Milwaukee Auditorium. Uh, there's a, 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 a hall here called Serb Hall. Uh, where there, where Wallace, I think, held three events over his time as president, and he always gets like a really boisterous. And he's running for president. <laughs> um, but there's also lots of people there that don't like him, right? There are like yeah. there's a there's a clash between black protesters and uh, and his supporters uh, when a bunch of um, the African American, um, you know, um, protesters refuse to stand for the national anthem, and then there's like a clash between the the people there. So there's it's really interesting. Like there's different clashes there for sure. Um, labor leaders in the state tried to oppose him. The Democratic leaders um, within the establishment of the Democratic Party uh, in Wisconsin try to push back and, you know, argue that, you know, he shouldn't get support from the party and from from voters. But he, he still does. In spite of all those uh, protests and despite a lot of the establishment and, and the black community pushing back, he, he gains a, you know, a decent minority of support in every election he runs in um, up until 76. So, you know, it's, it's interesting. Like there's a strong pushback and a reaction, but he kind of feeds off of that, right? He'll like, you know, poke fun at folks that are protesting and say, Hey, you know, instead of chanting, you know, instead of singing, we shall overcome, how about home on the range, right? Like he, he has this kind of like weird affable ability to like deflect and also to like other people and say like, Hey, you know, if I was governor or if I was president, 
um, we'd have law and order. We wouldn't have these marchers here. We wouldn't have these people disrupting. Like I would bring order and, you know, he would, he uses the protests to fuel his own support. Uh, and, and which I think is really interesting. Wow. It was the, the reading the book too. It was, you know, it, the, you know, you have images in the book also and the, you know, you see the protests that were going on with it. And he just seems like he was in, in the media too. The, uh, he would get, he would garner a lot of attention where he would go. Yeah. Um, he was getting a lot of uh, free press <laughs> when he was running for president. Definitely. I mean, these rallies were huge. He'd have like thousands of, in some cases, like over 10,000, almost 20,000 people at some of these events. Right. So the media would be there. They'd be covering it. And it was really like a circus like environment. Right. And he, you know, Wallace was really interesting because he got free media attention everywhere he went. Like all these local newspapers, the Milwaukee Journal, the Milwaukee Sentinel, the Sheboygan Press, they'd all cover him. But he had a very negative view of the media. He would like argue the media was biased against him. This was, there was this media that was, uh, you know, not giving him a fair shake. And if they just sat down and met with him, they'd like him. But the, all the articles are so negative and these cartoons are mean. And um, it's interesting because we live in a world now where the media is often accused of being biased or of being fake. Uh, and like Wallace kind of taps into that. Right. He both benefits from the media. Just, you know, it's a circus. The media gravitates towards this because it's really interesting and um you know bizarre in some ways like there's something really unusual that wallace is tapping into but at the same time he weaponizes against the media and argues that they're somehow in cahoots against him right they're an enemy that among the other establishments groups that he has to kind of um you know criticize so yeah the media i think plays a really interesting role in the election for sure in, in many of them yeah and the you know, the weird thing is too, you know, in this job that, you know, I'm in and you, you working in history too, there's always been a bias in the media one way or the other when you go back yeah. and look at it historically. So that's nothing new, <laughs> you know? Sure. So even, you know, in the North, if you go back even to the Civil War with Northern papers, you know, even Northern papers would go be favorable one way towards how the war was being fought and also, you know, be going the other way about how the war was being fought. And then Southern papers, you know, even, you know, take it here in Charleston, this Charleston Mercury could be, you know, you know, General Lee is supposed to be like the saint here in the South and they would be against General <laughs> yep. Lee. I mean, yep. the papers are always biased. And even if they supposed are supposedly on the same side, they can you know, go against each other. I mean, medias can always yeah. be biased, but that's like the biggest thing. You know, people always say the media is, is more toxic than ever. Well, it's just more media now. Than there There's just more of it. Yeah. yeah. And I, what's, what's interesting in this time too, is that like, obviously there are like African-American newspapers in Milwaukee in particular, that obviously are very negative about Wallace. Like they're really campaigning actively to defeat him. Um, but the traditional mainstream press is not super positive about the civil rights movement in Milwaukee either. So if Wallace isn't getting a fair shake, and being treated fairly as he claims like it's also true that like a lot of the civil rights protesters were also not covered in a very positive light uh either so you know i think that with all the chaos of these rallies and events and protests and counter protests that sometimes actually get like vocal and violent like they're both both sides are kind of perceived as fringe and kind of out there um and i think maybe i don't know if that sells papers but it certainly created a uh, a lot of stir in the area for for a time <laughs> yes so interesting. It was it's an interesting time period. He, you know, I hate to say it though, he's an interesting person to read about. He's a he's a character that is from our, you know, nation's history. Um and he, you know, uh, has far <laughs> to quote the Forrest Gump movie, an angry little man from Alabama who uh, yeah. went and ran for president four times. And somebody got angry yeah. and went and shot that little man. 
<laughs> they did, yeah. And he was a Milwaukeean, actually. His name was Arthur Bremer, and he was like a, um, you know, he was apparently, you know, had, had some issues and was trying to impress a lover that was, had rejected him and thought that shooting Wallace would be the way to do it, and stalked him all the way from Milwaukee to Michigan to Maryland, where he finally shot him. Um, and then, you know, he was in a wheelchair bound for the rest of his life after that. So there's even a Milwaukee connection um, to that part of Wallace's history too. Well, Ben, it's been awesome talking to you. Thanks for being on. Yeah, thanks so much. I appreciate the chance to talk about it. I thought it was an interesting chapter in our states and our country's history, and I'm glad I got a chance to share it. As always, thanks to you, the audience, for listening. George Wallace in Wisconsin is now available online at ArcadiaPublishing.com and wherever local books are sold. As always, I want to thank my friends Jay and Bill's Unnamed Band Project for the show's theme song. You can find them on Facebook and Instagram. And they even have a t-shirt available now. Y'all should go get it. It's pretty cool looking. I've got one coming. I will talk with you very soon. Bye-bye.